Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Did you know that two-thirds of people with osteoarthritis are of working age, and it's one of the leading reasons people quit working? So Barbara came in to see me in the clinic last week. She was feeling distraught. She loved going to work. She really enjoys spending time with the people that she works with. And she's worked in the same job for the better part of the last 30 years. So it had really become part of her identity. Her knee pain was getting to a point where she was finding it increasingly difficult to get from the train station to the office and some of the lifting tasks that she had to do around the workplace left her in agony. Do you ever get joint pains at work and wonder to yourself whether they're related? There are many reasons for the development of osteoarthritis, many of which we've discussed in previous episodes of the show, including joint injury, being above a healthy weight, and increasing age. However, Having a physically demanding job may also put you at risk of the development of osteoarthritis. Jobs which involve repetitive movements and excessive knee loading, like farming, mining, have been linked to the development of knee osteoarthritis. Hello, it's David Hunter. And on this episode of Joint Action, we're joined by Dr. Thomas Perry to discuss this really important topic. So we're planning to talk about jobs which put you at risk of osteoarthritis and which ones may have a protective effect. And if you're in a physically demanding job, potentially what you can do to minimize your risk. Hello, Tom. Welcome to the show. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. Oh, no, it's an absolute pleasure. It's a great chance for us to have a chat about this and other things, but also obviously really importantly about the content that you've contributed a lot to the field about. But before we get into that, just in an effort to, for me to probe you a little bit further about yourself, 
Can you just share with the listeners a little bit more about your background and what a typical day might look like? Sure. Really, from a very early age, I've had an interest in medicine and science, and that really led me to pursue a bachelor's of science degree at Sheffield Hallam University in human biology. And it really wasn't until my final year where I had sort of true exposure to research. And from that, my love of research really started. So I undertook a PhD at the then called Arthritis Research UK Centre for Epidemiology at the University of Manchester, where my PhD was centred around looking at structural change in response to vitamin D therapy in symptomatic neosarthritis. So upon completion of that PhD, I moved down to Oxford to start a postdoctoral research career at the Botner Research Centre, which is centred around musculoskeletal complaints or orthopaedics. And I was really interested in looking at risk factors and better defining outcomes in the field of neosarthritis. So really, in terms of a normal day, I don't think any of us actually have a normal day or a repeated day, but I have a lot of meetings, as I think we all do. Thankfully, most of those are now in person rather than virtual. It's great to be moving away from teams where possible. I work with a number of collaborators on my current project, so I'm always engaging with them, feeding back with how the project is going. I write a lot of scripts, so these are using statistical programming languages uh, to clean data because I work with various data types, but also analytical scripts as well. And, and really where opportunities arise with regards to teaching, I jump on board. So uh, I teach on master courses when those are going through the year and reading and writing papers. That's another large component of the job as well. Sound like you've got a lot to do there, Tom. And when you're not busy working away, what do you like to do? I love traveling and I appreciate that's been really difficult in recent times. In fact, at the Aussie conference earlier this year in Berlin was the very first time I stepped foot out of the UK since COVID. So that was a fantastic opportunity. Eating out is a hobby. I enjoy tasting new foods and trying new places to eat. And I'm a bit of a technology buff. So I have a love-hate relationship with technology as I think a majority of us do. So I do like reading up on what the new technological advances are. So recently I've been reading up on the Elon Musk SpaceX program and the sort of engineering work behind the space rocket. So that's what I enjoy doing. Are you an Elon Musk fan? That's a provocative question. He has a lot of money and I think there's arguments that that money could be better spent, perhaps sort of addressing sort of the more three problems that we have. But I think the fact that he's sort of reinvigorated the space program is fantastic. I think what we are able to learn about the universe can only assist with our travel to other planets. So I don't really have an opinion on him, but I am fully aware he's quite provocative. Did you dream of being an astronaut as a kid? I, I did. I don't know anyone who didn't have a, a period in their life where they didn't want to be an astronaut. I'm there, Tom. I quite like having my feet on Mother Earth, as long as we can look after it. Yeah, well, that's the problem. There's sort of an abandoning attitude now with the SpaceX program. But I think it would be a fantastic opportunity to go into space. But I appreciate it's not for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> now, we're digressing. 
And obviously what I want to do today is really focus on that really important topic of the relation of work and occupation to the development of osteoarthritis, which a lot of the work that you've done has been really pivotal in developing our understanding of that. But I just want to start with a really broad question. What types of activities or jobs that people might be doing at work could put them at risk of the development of osteoarthritis of the knee? Well, that, that's a really good question. And I suppose I would respond with, it depends on what exposures you're talking about. So this is one of perhaps the problems in the field of occupation in the context of osteoarthritis is that there are several different types of occupational exposures you could be referring to. So most of the time we refer to job titles. So that is the actual title of your job, which we can classify into levels. Just before you go on. So that's, for example, that's a title like carpenter or painter or builder or office worker. Is that what you're referring to? Exactly. So some of the more heavily researched job titles have been around farming, mining, carpentry, those sorts yep. of jobs. Yep. And then the second sort of occupational exposure that we quite often refer to is workplace physical activities. So these are the activities that you perform during your working day in the workplace and some of the activities that have been more specifically targeted are those around kneeling, squatting, carrying heavy loads, and also standing as well. So those activities are very much of interest. So really through our program of work, and this was very much a team effort, a collaboration between Oxford, Sydney, and Southampton, to name a few. We showed that nine specific job titles were associated with knee osteoarthritis. So these were farming, builders, metal workers, floor layers, to name a few. And then of those physical activities, those occupational physical activities, we showed that lifting, kneeling, climbing, squatting, and standing were also all associated with higher odds of knee osteoarthritis compared to sedentary work or sedentary physical activity. And the job titles that you're referring to in the first instance, and again, this might be a little bit of an unfair question, but do they tend to include the activities that you subsequently referred to? Again, that's a really good question and a, a difficult one to answer because there is a degree of inference about the physical activities that are performed within those job titles. So a, a good example could be if you're a construction engineer, are you an engineer who's working in an office all day, drawing up plans, or are you on site actually contributing to the building itself? So the physical activities that are performed are very different. So it's difficult to establish what physical activities are performed within those job titles without really drilling down into the behavior of those individuals that are referencing these job titles. Yeah. And so most of the studies that you're referring to there, presumably you're deriving your information from people reporting either their title or the nature of the activity that they commonly do at work, not necessarily based upon observational measurement. Is that fair? That's right. So the cohort studies that we used for our own studies, these were self-reported job titles and or physical activities. And one of the sort of beauties to the cohorts we use is that we were able to use follow-up data. So we were able to track development of neosarthritis over time. But that's not to say that these measures of physical activity, they, they were recorded at a single time point. So 
if you're looking at changes in physical activity within the job or changes in the job title over time, that's very difficult to measure unless you're capturing those changes, perhaps with multiple inception time points uh, along the way. So quite often you have one assessment of the job title or those physical activities within the job at a single time point, and then you infer for an extended period of time, whatever the follow-up study may be, that individual is performing those same activities or belong to the same job title, which is perhaps a very strong inference to make. Yeah. And the analyses you're just referring to derive their data from a few different available cohorts. Can you just briefly tell us about those cohorts and what differences there may be in the results that you found between them? Sure. So we used three cohorts. One was called the Chingford Thousand Women Study. So as the name suggests, this is a population of 1,000 or so women from the UK who were followed up for, I think, the final visit now is 23 years follow-up. And the purpose of that study was really to identify risk factors for both osteoarthritis and osteoporosis. So this was to track women over time. And as the study has grown, a number of additional questionnaires have been added over time to really expand the project. And we also used two American-based studies, so the Osteoarthritis Initiative, or OAI, and also the Multicenter Osteoarthritis Study, called MOST. And both are approximately of between three and four and a half thousand uh, individuals at risk of developing specifically knee osteoarthritis. Most and OAI are what we would consider observational cohorts. So whilst they're not representative of the general population, they are enhanced populations. So they may be at an increased risk of neosoporosis, as I described, because they might have a high BMI, for instance, or might have high levels of activity, or they might have a number of other risk factors that predispose them to neosoporosis. And when you looked at those different cohorts, did you find that the results were reasonably similar between them? Well, it was a bit of a mixed bag, actually. So we had several key findings from the study we're describing. So we observed specifically in the osteoarthritis that heavy manual occupations were associated with an increased risk of incident radiographic neosoarthritis. That's the development of new X-ray changes consistent with osteoarthritis. Sorry, keep going, Tom. That's correct. But we didn't observe that in the Chingford study. And also that association was really only observed among men. So men working heavy manual occupations in most had an increased risk of radiographic neosoarthritis. So there were a couple of really interesting findings there in the respect that the associations we were seeing specifically for instance, radiographic neosoarthritis were really only observed in men and in specific cohorts. Incident radiographic neosoarthritis was not the only outcome to that study. We were also looking at symptomatic radiographic neosoarthritis. So that's the development of pain with incident radiographic neosoarthritis. And within that, we, we found that nerves association was observed among women. So women, we didn't observe an association between Incident asymptomatic radiographic neosoporosis in occupation. But 
when we looked at osteoarthritis initiative and most, we did observe that increased levels of workload were associated with an increased risk of symptomatic really gassing osteoarthritis. So some slightly different stories going on there. And I think what this is evidencing is that occupation is incredibly difficult to measure. And it's important to use multiple studies, different cohorts, different studies, really to advance our understanding here to see if these associations are really true, they really exist, or whether they're occurring in sort of isolated fractions within specific populations. Yeah. And I mean, obviously part of this relates to the limitation you were mentioning before is that if we rely upon self-reported job title or self-reported activity, as opposed to what truly is happening in the workplace, it becomes quite difficult. I guess a couple of questions. So one is when you say that people with heavy manual exposures are at increased risk, compared to who or compared to what, and are there any particular jobs that actually appear to be protective against the development of osteoarthritis? Great question. So with regards to your first point, when we're talking about increased risk associated specifically with heavy manual work, this is in reference to sedentary occupations that we've classified or sedentary physical activities. So sedentary occupation might be an office worker or someone like that? Exactly, or a clerk. And again, the assumption being that the majority of the physical activity performed within that job role is you're sat down for the majority of your day. But with regards to your second point around jobs that are potentially protective, towards neosarthritis, that's really, that's where we're sort of now looking at the other edge of the source. And at least from our study, we didn't observe any specific job titles or physical activities that were protective, both in the statistical sense, but also in the clinical significance sense. So we didn't identify a specific job or physical activity that was protective. But that's not to say in the literature that I've read, there are potentially other physical activities within the workplace that may hold some protective effect, but it's certainly not consistent in the literature. Yeah. So we might get back onto what activities they might be so that potentially people can adopt those protective physical activities. But before we do that, any relationship here at all between occupation and other sites of osteoarthritis? Because obviously we've been focused on knee osteoarthritis, but what about hips, hands, other joints? So again, a lot of the research on this is focused on the knee joints, but I suppose to some extent you could consider the hip also part of the lower limb here. And at least again, in the context of our own study, we didn't explore other sites, but the literature out there specifically to hip is very comparable to the knee. With regards to upper limbs, such as the hands, there's certainly more interest and growing interest specifically around hand particularly, but I don't know of any marked papers that say one way or the other regarding physical workplace activities or job titles that are associated with an increased risk of hand OA, but that's an area of interest and it is certainly growing. Yeah. I mean, there's some really old epidemiologic literature, at least for hip osteoarthritis, suggesting that at least farmers may be at increased risk. And for those people who may have developed hand osteoarthritis, you know, people who are involved in, again, heavy manual work, jackhammer operators, people who are doing a lot of heavy manual work, again, but a lot more work probably needs to happen. Now, obviously, I guess a lot of the listeners out there, or you may be very interested in 
trying to determine what you can do to reduce your risk of developing osteoarthritis. So, Tom, any advice that you can give those people who might be thinking about reducing their risk, reducing the physically demanding elements that might place them at greater risk, or what are the role of other risk factors here that we know that might cause osteoarthritis contributing to this as well? Again, we're talking about some of the protection against risk of OA, which is incredibly important. So the general advice I would give is use appropriate workplace protective equipment where that's available and where that's provided. If not, go out and get it. So this is potentially anything from using, say, a knee brace to increase the stability of your knee joint if it's unstable, if you've got some malalignment perhaps. And also if your job involves a lot of kneeling, wear knee pads to help minimize that loading through your joints. And also have discussions, again, where possible with your employers, undergo risk assessments, have some sort of evaluation of the activities that you're performing on a daily basis that may be detrimental to your long-term risk of osteoarthritis. With regards to other risk factors that feed into osteoarthritis, BMI is an important one. This has been consistently shown to increase your risk of osteoarthritis. So with increasing BMI, increasing age, particularly your risk grows. So again, along with the general guidelines for management of osteoarthritis, weight loss, where it is appropriate and recommended by your clinician, that's an important consideration as well. Superb, Tom. And that's, I think, a really broad and good coverage of a very complex area. And just to really briefly recap it. So if you think that you're at risk of developing osteoarthritis and you're in an occupation that may place you at greater risk. Think about the concepts and the central tenets that Tom was just talking about there, particularly with trying to modify those activities. So we know that heavy manual loading, particularly for knees with a knee in a bent or a flexed position where the knee experiences a lot more load, potentially places you at greater risk of osteoarthritis of the knee. So that if you don't need to do a particular activity with your knee so bent and or spend long periods of time with your knee bent, such as in a squatting position, and particularly if you've got excess load that you're carrying, again, try to minimize those activities as best you can. So if you've got a choice between carrying the load or putting it in a wheelbarrow, uh, potentially consider if this is a regular load that you're needing to carry using the wheelbarrow. Because again, whether that load is extrinsic outside your body or intrinsic, so your own body weight, potentially it all plays an important role in contributing to osteoarthritis. Now, Tom, before we move on from the topic of occupation, any resources that you think would be valuable that maybe online lay resources that people might be able to dig into? We'll, we'll provide the references for the important work that you've done, but any resources that you think might be helpful here as well? Versus Arthritis has a whole manner of resources online that cover a whole host of different subtopics within osteoarthritis. So I would certainly go to the Versus Arthritis website, read up on their literature, and also these guidelines, these recommendations around the management of osteoarthritis are also online. So certainly have a read of those to see if it can feed into your, your daily treatment program. Wonderful. All right, now we're going to get a little bit more into the probing and delving about who Tom Perry really is. 
reflect on this as a brief interrogation session. It's been such a long while since I've had the opportunity to do this to you, Tom. So just sit back, relax, and just imagine that these are questions that we're talking about in a pub. But now, if you could do anything to improve health and healthcare, what would you do? Well, I think if I had more time, I would really sort of go into this and labor this point as much as possible. But a personal thanks to all of the NHS and care home workers in the UK, well, around the world in general, I think there's a real problem with retaining staff and also around access to healthcare. There are real discrepancies, I think, globally. So I would certainly put more into health literacy. Also, as I said, access to healthcare and also retaining these wonderful staff that are working so hard on a daily basis. So again, thank you to all of those wonderful people. Yeah, no, you should be a politician at some point in your life because I think the, <laughs> there's not enough recognition of the the workload and the burnout that I think a lot of people are experiencing in the health system. And I think the more we can do to help those people, it's really important. And as you mentioned, another really key and important focus here is trying to address the disparities and equity within the healthcare system, because we know that some people are getting much better healthcare than others. And the reasons for that are oftentimes abundantly clear, but our health systems and policymakers are not necessarily doing as much as they could to address those. But anyway, I'm going to digress and get on my soapbox for too long if you keep me going there. <laughs> Why do you do what you do? What's your key motivation here? I think because of the prevalence of osteoarthritis, specifically the knee, I think we all know someone now potentially with osteoarthritis. And my mum is one of those individuals. And again, I think she was always asking the question, what do I do? And from that, I really have a personal sort of vested interest in really trying to help if I can 1% advance the field of osteoarthritis, moving more towards developing disease modifying treatments, or even those that further help alleviate symptoms and improve functions. No, a personal motivation is as good as any. And I think particularly if it's a close family member that's driving you towards advance, it's, it's hopefully going to be a great boon for the osteoarthritis community as well. Now, Tom, if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? Again, sort of stemming to my previous comments around COVID, I think the last few years have been really difficult for all of us in some shape or fashion. And I think it's okay to recognize that we may not all be okay. So with that, I would like to have a billboard with some information around access to sort of mindfulness charities or any sort of charity, not necessarily around mental health, but at least information to access those resources to, to really help and support people that may be struggling with their own health, whether that be mental or, or other. Really important advice. And as people who are out there, if you are struggling, please do access some of the resources that are hopefully readily available within your local community to address some of those concerns. And just in closing, Tom, is there any one piece of advice or a pearl of wisdom that you've got that you'd like to give for people who have osteoarthritis? I think all I would say here is the community is working incredibly hard to, as I said, either develop a disease modifying treatment or at least improve symptom states and improve physical function. So I think a lot of osteoarthritis patients go through these cycles of trying new treatments that may not ultimately work for them, not necessarily in the short term, but also in the long term. So we are 
really trying to improve the disease control and really give patients the best possible life and lifestyle whilst living with osteoarthritis. Wonderful way to close, Tom. I think it's really important to give people hope. And as you say, there are some tremendous therapeutic and knowledge developments that are going on in the osteoarthritis space that I hope will inspire people to get behind us, to support us, and to ensure that the research that people within the osteoarthritis community are doing around the world gets done so that we can advance your cause and hopefully reduce community suffering. Tom, thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us. It's great having a chance to chat. We don't do it often enough and hopefully we'll get a chance to do it again soon. And thank you so much for the contributions you're making to the osteoarthritis knowledge space. It's so, so important. Keep it up. No problem. Thanks very much for having me, David. And again, just to echo, this is very much a team effort. So hopefully we're making strides. We definitely are. So if you're at risk of the development of osteoarthritis and you're in a job that involves a lot of knee bending and particularly heavy manual loading, think about what you can do to reduce that risk. If you can modify the activities to reduce your risk, please do so. And obviously, if you're carrying excess weight and you can reduce that weight, that will also help by reducing the other risk factors that might contribute to the development of osteoarthritis. This is an evolving area, and we know that occupation plays a really important role, but similarly, there are a number of modifications that theoretically can be made to different jobs to reduce risk, and where we should and can do that, we should. So hopefully you found today's content useful. It's a really important topic given the number of people with osteoarthritis who are of working age, and particularly the fact that many people with osteoarthritis have to stop working as a consequence of their joint pain. So again, between now and the next time we connect, please do take care of yourself. Thanks for listening to Joint Action with David Hunter. If you like our show and want to know more, visit www.jointaction.info. If you have any questions, you can email us at hello at jointaction.info and follow us on Twitter at jointactionorg. This podcast was hosted by David Hunter, edited by Vicky Duong, music produced by Jordan Hunter. The information posted on this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Anyone seeking medical advice should consult a health professional. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.